Welcome to Ninth in Congress, a podcast sponsored by the Texas Public Policy Foundation, where we talk about the intersection of policy and Texas politics. Last week, almost 50 years after the 1964 civil rights legislation, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that America's colleges and universities could no longer use race as a factor in determining who could be admitted. We're going to talk about that historic ruling and its impact on Texas today with Dr. Richard Johnson, director of the Booker T. Washington Institute here at TPPF. The Booker T. Institute studies the effects of public policy on African-American communities. Dr. Johnson was recently appointed by Governor Greg Abbott to the Board of Regents at Texas Southern University, one of the nation's oldest historically black colleges. A lifelong educator, he got his doctorate and his master's at Texas Southern researching psychology and academic performance, focusing on the African-American community. Thank you for joining me today, Richard. Thank you for having me, Sherry. I'm excited about it. How's everything going? Everything is just great. Tell me, I think this is something we'll be asking each other for years now, where were you when you heard the Supreme Court had struck down affirmative action? I can remember just like it was two seconds ago. <laughs> I was actually at my desk at my home office doing some work and, and constantly checking to make sure I, I was uh, aware when the decision came down. And when the decision came down, I was ecstatic about it. I was, I was, I mean, just elated because affirmative action was a first step toward equal opportunity a first step toward equal opportunity. It was never meant to be a panacea or an end all as we move toward equality in America. So did you have favorite lines? I mean, one of the things that I loved was Clarence Thomas saying that two discriminatory wrongs don't make a discriminatory right. And I, having heard you argue in support of the anti-DEI bill last month in Texas, I know that you agreed with that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you don't, you don't solve discrimination by discriminating. It just doesn't make any sense. And I had this conversation about 25 years ago. And uh, with Maynard Jackson and Andrew Young. <clears throat> Not to and, name drop. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and we were, we were sitting down in a meeting in Atlanta. And I figured, since I had Andrew, Jack, Andrew Young right across from me, I would ask him this question. And I said, you know, I said, Andy, what, what is the thing with affirmative action? Because I had been a, a, a chief of staff at City Hall. And I looked at the affirmative action program there, and actually African-American men were only getting 0.01% of opportunities toward contracting with the city. I said, that's not even worth it. Why aren't we fighting for equal economic opportunity or equal opportunity? And so Andrew Young told me, he says, look, at the time that we, because I knew that he was in King, at King's Kitchen Table, and I said, I wanted to hear it from somebody who sat around the table. And he said that at that time, we were not getting zero opportunities. And we wanted to fight for equal opportunity, but we didn't know we could go, we didn't think we could go from zero to equal. And so affirmative action came into play as a first step toward equal economic opportunity. And then I asked Andy the question I said, well, why are we still here with affirmative action? 
He said, well, King died. And he said, after that, everybody got hung up on the first step. And now if you mention going to the next step in order to go somewhere, you have to leave somewhere, leaving here and going to the next step toward what we know is the American dream is equal opportunity. Everybody comes out against you because they're hung up on that first step. But the master plan was always to move toward equality. And that's our fight in America is equality, not equity, not affirmative action, but equality. You know, some of the blowback, and of course, the left has just gone crazy about this ruling, but it's also hit both sides, is that uh, Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas was a beneficiary of affirmative action to get into college and also uh, Justice Sotomayor. Now, I'm reading today, there's really no evidence of that. Thomas believes that he was recruited to get into Holy Cross High School and mm -hmm. that that enabled him to get into college and law school. But uh, he, he, uh, he says that he, he did not benefit from affirmative action. Have you ever been in a position where you benefited from affirmative action? Great. You know what, Sherry? I'm so glad you asked me that question. Because <laughs> people just automatically assume because I'm African-American, I've benefited from affirmative action. No, I have not. I have three degrees, and they're all from historically black colleges and universities. And, uh, and I went to public school in Houston. So uh -huh. I went to public school, went to the public education system. And, and when I left the public education system, I went, to, I went to Wiley College, which is the oldest historically black college in the state of Texas. It was founded in 1873. This year, 150 years. We made 150 years old. And then I have two degrees from Texas Southern University, which uh, TSU is 94 years old. Next, week, next year, we'll be uh, celebrating 95 years. Uh, the, one of the things is, and I see things from that perspective. I see things, you know, uh, James Former was a graduate of Wiley College, but he was one of the big four. You know, that was King, Former, and Roy Wilkerson, and, and Fred Shuttlesworth. Those were the big four of the civil rights leaders. Well, James Former was one of them, and he was a Wiley man. He, was, he graduated from Wiley College. Matter of fact, he spoke at my commencement. And he also founded CORE, which is the Congress on Racial Equality. And he also founded SNCC, which was a Student Nonviolent Coordinating uh, Committee. So he founded those two organizations and he fought for justice and equality for all Americans and lifting African-Americans out of a, a discriminatory, unjust system into a system of equality. And if he were here to fight today, he would not be fighting for affirmative action. He'd be fighting for equality. And Wiley College is also, for our, our younger people who don't remember, the uh, subject of the Denzel Washington great debaters. <laughs> movie, movie on the great debaters. So following the affirmative action ruling and also all the work we did on Senate Bill 17, uh, you and I both testified in support mm. of the anti-DEI bill, Absolutely. what the universities have said, and they say this with a straight face, we must continue race-conscious policies. We cannot continue 
race-neutral policies. They seem to truly believe that if they're judging individuals without regard to their race, that no minority kids will be chosen. Well, I believe in a merit system. And I served eight years in the United States Army. The United States Army is based on a merit system. If you work hard, you're going to excel. If you do not, you'll remain stagnant. Or if you, if you, do, if you don't conform to the military way, you'll be sent back home. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't support either race conscious or race neutral in, in admissions policies. should be no question of race at all in admissions policies. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, America has grown beyond discrimination. Whether you call it conscious, I'm race conscious. I mean, I understand all races and I'm also and I also see all. I'm not colorblind. I can see that your phone is blue. (laughs) But the thing of it is that has nothing to do with my relationship with you. You see. One of these things that we're going to have to elevate people's thinking on is I don't have to hate you in order for me to love me. And I don't have to hate me in order for me to love you. Why can't I just love you and love me too? I mean, this is America. At the end of the day, we're all Americans. And... Now, we in Texas, we're a little bit special because we do everything we are big. All, we're we, all Texans. <laughs> yeah. In we're Texas, Texans. we do everything big. But, but, we're, but the thing about it is, Sherry, it wasn't just Martin. I mean, it was Frederick Douglass. It was Booker T. Washington, Du Bois. It was all of those folk, civil rights leaders, you know, James Former. It was all those guys who believed that America get get to the place of equality. We at Texas Southern United uh, Texas Southern University, we don't ask anybody what your race is. You're not you're not. We don't have a race uh, a race baiting admissions program at TSU. Right. We don't. It doesn't matter whether you white, black, brown, whatever, whatever your race or your male, female. You know what I mean. We have admission criteria. You meet those admission criteria, then we, we allow you to come into the university. And we're a historically black university. And you know they're categorized, they categorize universities now, PWIs, predominantly white institutions, HBCUs, historically black universities, HSIs, Hispanic serving institutions. But one of the things that we do not do is put race in our program at all and as of last year 25 percent of students that that attended historically black universities were not black and so it it doesn't mean because I don't I may not be able to get into Harvard because of their admission criteria doesn't mean that they're I'm not gonna I don't have an opportunity for a great education somewhere else it's it's really interesting to me when you talked about SNCC and CORE. I remember those groups. Uh, I I schools were my public schools were integrated when I was in them. So I mm-hmm. had gone to segregated schools and they were integrated during the years that I was in them. And then when I went to college, uh, 
our goal, I was a uh, Democrat back then and, uh, and a good liberal, and the goal was to be colorblind, not that you didn't see race. Mm -hmm. We knew we would see it. You didn't judge on it. You didn't judge on it. It didn't matter. Right. That's what we were trying to do coming from, uh, you, you know, coming from out of, out of segregation. Mm -hmm. and, the, and the 64 Civil Rights Movement. So it's, it seems to me that we have, uh, that's one of the things we've kind of gotten in, in looking at the success of these programs. But the, the woke left is doing a lot to set us back. One of the worries about these rulings is in 1996, when most of the colleges in Texas already stopped using affirmative action, that the number of uh, black and Hispanic applicants from Texas declined because they were afraid, the kids were afraid that they couldn't get in. So they've been sold this bill of goods. And most of the people who get into University of Texas who are black and Hispanic are not affirmative action. They come in on that 10% program. Right, right which uh, our good friend Royce West and others set up. Mm -hmm. so, so as a way to expand, mm -hmm. a non-racial way to expand the people could, who could get into college. Yeah, and looking at, and looking at a decline in enrollment um, during that particular time, and, and even going forward up to now, one of the things that we have to do at, uh, at HBCUs is a better job of marketing our academic programs and getting out into the communities. And one of the things that we're looking at doing right now is working with our feeder schools and then actually drilling down into those feeder patterns, you know, so that we can work with the pipeline that's coming up all the way from primary to secondary to post-secondary uh, at the education level. We have not done a good job at that. And that, that contributes a lot to the decline in enrollment at HBCUs. We have to be happy about being, you know, a university in the state of Texas. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that, that, that I do and I see, I see Texas Southern University on equal playing field and equal, equal platform with the University of Texas. I don't see that they are a flagship, you know, Ivy League flagship school and I'm and TSU is a subordinate school. No, we all have one thing I learned in psychology. Unless the brain has brain organic dysfunction, everybody's brain can really be taught and learn the same stuff, mm -hmm. you know. And so there is no, and I heard Dr. Carson say this all the time, when he pulls back the skull and he looks, he doesn't see color, all he sees is a human brain. Right. And so basically, unless we tell ourselves that we're not good as or they're less than us, we don't know that. And so at, at our level in higher education, we do have to do a better job at marketing what we're doing in terms of our academic programming and how our academic programming is benefiting the Texas community and the community at large. How do we, in, in communicating to kids, we're also communicating to kids who are being told that America is a systemically racist country. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's the hyper uh, 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 tyranny, bigotry of low expectations. 
Absolutely. You don't have a chance. Mm -hmm. You've never had a chance. All these people who do succeed, I mean, I heard on The View the other day, Sonny Houston, African-American woman, mm -hmm. tell Tim Scott that he did not understand that this was a systemically racist country. Right. And somehow, and I guess you would be in that category, too. Some people just kind of sneak through, I guess. <laughs> no, actually, Tim Scott had, had the appropriate response. <laughs> I mean, he hit the nail directly on the head. One, I'm going to give you a short story. I, You know, when I was a kid, my delivery doctor, Dr. Carroll, mm -hmm. uh, delivered me. And he remained my doctor and best friend until he transitioned in 1997. Uh, and, and he was right there in Fifth Ward on Lyons Avenue. So when I was a kid, I would ride my bicycle over and just sit down and talk with Dr. Carroll. And he and he in his time, he also owned uh, what's now Unity National Bank. It was then Riverside Bank. And he owned six offshore oil rigs and he was a you know medical doctor. So he's a very accomplished man, but right there in my community where I could ride my bicycle over and talk to him. And one of the things that I did, Sherry, uh, I talked to my wife about it. And I said, and a house came for sale right across the street from my mother's house where I grew up. And I bought that house. And she says, you're going to move back into the, I said, yes, I'm going to move right there in that house. And I said, some young man or woman need to ride their bicycle by and talk to me. You see, we're not the exception. Mm-hmm. We just have to be there so that we can allow ourselves, like Dr. Carroll did for me, he allowed himself to open up and be with a young man who would walk. Not Some people walk right past his office, but I would go to his office and sit down and talk with him. And, and I had access to him. And so that's what we need in, in, in our communities is to have access, not, not become very brilliant, very successful, and then move away and never go back. And so as we continue to go back and be there for people like they were there for us, I stand on their shoulders. I'm able to sit down and talk with my pastor, George Foreman, because he'll sit down and have a conversation with me, even though he's 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 done business all over the world. But he'll sit down and have a conversation. And that means a lot toward elevating everybody in in those in those lower socioeconomic communities. Doesn't matter whether you're white, black, brown, or whatever, lower socioeconomic communities. If you would go in there and expose yourself and allow yourself, uh, people to expose themselves to you, that will help elevate them. What are you seeing? I mean, one of the things that's frustrating to me about all the debate around affirmative action and what will happen to younger uh, black and Hispanic kids and the same debate around DEI. And it's clear to me that the issues that we're dealing with in terms of gap and achievement, mm -hmm. those are not issues we're going to fix at the college level. That we've exactly. got to work at K through 12. And I know you've been fighting a lot mm -hmm. for uh, parental empowerment and school choice in Texas. Are you hopeful? Is this one more thing that makes you hopeful? Or oh, yes. Oh, yes. Because this decision doesn't just have an impact at the, at the higher ed level, the, the post-secondary level. 
it has an impact at the primary and secondary level in education simply because we're now going to have to elevate the student academic outcomes and performances at those levels to prepare them. If they want to go to a Harvard, they'll have the merit to be able to do it. If they want to go to a TSU, they'll have the merit to be able to do it. But the only thing will stop them is their their merit. They'll be based on their merit, their hard work and their aptitude. That's the key, not their race. Mm-hmm. You see, the whole idea behind the 14th Amendment was equal protection for everybody, black people, everybody. And no one would be discriminated against. Title VI and Title VII, Title VII in the workplace and and then added in higher education. But it was non-discrimination. You see, not discrimination because you black, we're going to let you in. Non-discrimination because you black, we're not going to keep you out. You see, that's our fight. So what do you think about the proposals to get rid of uh, legacy admittance? Uh, There are no legacy uh, admittances at A&M, but I think other schools uh, have uh, huge, uh, huge amounts, huge percentages of people who come in who are the sons and daughters of those who attended. Mm -hmm. And there's a move to get rid of that. I think it's going to be a challenge. But, you know, again, I, I attended... Wiley College and Texas Southern University, and my most of the people there, like myself, I was a first generation. Right. And so I, I didn't have that legacy. And right now, we don't have the legacy issue there. You don't get extra points because you're a legacy. Uh-huh. And I don't think that you should get extra points because you're legacy. I wouldn't want my children to get extra points because they're legacy, I, because I didn't go through that process. But the thing of it is, I do encourage my, my kids. Of course, I'd like to see my kids go to go to Wiley College and TSU. I'd love to, you know, but my daughter told me, no, she wasn't going to go there. She was going somewhere else. I said, well, OK. There you go. You know, I'm your dad. I got to help you wherever you go. Right. right. So, so, so in that regard, there should be, in terms of admit, enrollment and admittance to, to colleges and universities, let every man, my grandmother used to say this, every tub got to set on its own bottom. Let every man and let every woman bring what they have to the table. It, I've had an op, when I first went out for basketball in the seventh grade, I got cut from the team. And then I went out for basketball in eighth grade, I got cut from the team. And then when I went in the ninth grade, I got cut from the team. And I was standing out in the rain and my dad came to pick me up because it was after practice, after after school. He came to pick me up. I was standing out in the rain, and uh, and I got in the car and I didn't say anything. The reason I was standing out in the rain because I was crying. I had been cut three times from the basketball team. Oh wow! And uh, and so we're driving along, and then my dad didn't say anything. We got halfway home. He said, "Well, did you make it?" I said, "I'm through with that. I'm never doing it again." He pulled the car over. My dad pulled the car over to the side of the road in the rain. He looked at me and said, son, winners never quit and quitters never win. After that, I went back. The next year I made the team. And the following year, my junior year, I was moved up to varsity, went on and earned a basketball scholarship. But the key to it is... They were not going to let me on the team for any reason other than the fact that I had I had met the full criteria of making that team. 
And that's what I tell my children right now. Don't expect anybody to give you special favors because you this you this race or you that gender or you this person's son or you this person's daughter. You make it on your own merit. You know, I'm going to give you something my dad wasn't able to afford for me because he never made much money. Mm -hmm. I'm going to pay for it. If you can't get a scholarship, I'm going to pay for you to go to school. Don't worry about that. All you got to do is want to be there. But you're going to have to get yourself admitted. And we'll help you all the way through. Just a couple more questions, and we need to wrap up here. Sure. But, you know, uh, Joe Biden, they're so concerned about this, and it seems like they're concerned because they feel like it's a setback for race relations. But he is thinking of establishing an adversity index so that if you're applying for college, you can talk about all these the, the, the challenges that you've faced. You know, maybe your first first time in your family to go to college. Mm -hmm. Maybe you're raised in a single family. Maybe you're handicapped. Maybe English isn't your first language. Maybe you're African-American. He's thinking that you could put that on the chart. And they're looking at other kind of proxies for being able to judge people. What are, what are your thoughts about that? Well, it's a workaround. I think it's a workaround. Mm -hmm. You know, if we're going to get rid of racism, Sherry, we have to flat out get rid of racism, mm -hmm. discrimination, race-based, you know, things. You know, whether they're adverse, have an ad adverse reward or, or a, 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 let's say, an incentive-based reward. Regardless of the fact, it's still race-based. And if you remove that from the equation and base it on merit, uh, Dr. Samuel Proctor, matter of fact, he was one of Dr. King's mentors. Dr. Samuel Proctor said, start at the scratch line. You know how you they used to take a stick and, and do a line like that, and then we all get up to that line, then we take off and go to a race. Well, start at the scratch line and don't make the scratch line 10 feet ahead for me. I want the scratch line to start right here with everybody else. Mm -hmm. And I have worked my butt off and I plan for this race and I'm going to outrun some people. You see? And if I don't do it that day, I have tomorrow to come back to the scratch line and try again. That's America. That's Texas. That's what we stand for. Richard, thank you. I don't think there was anything more moving than hearing the Indian American mother who was part of that lawsuit standing up and saying, we don't want anything extra. We just want our kids to get what they've, they scored. They Equal scored share. high enough to get into Harvard. They should be able to gotten to Harvard. Yes. So, yes. Uh, Isn't that something? Yeah. You know, nobody... I remember when and I was they playing. Weren't, she wasn't. She wasn't white. Yeah, but I mean, I remember when I was playing basketball, Sherry. No one wants to win the game that they didn't win fair and square. Yeah. Someone came up, come up and say, "Oh, the refs cheated for you. You had a home court advantage, and they they did this. They gave you this. They gave no man. When you get to the championship, you want it pound for pound, person for person, talent for talent." 
And what what makes the winner the winner is the one who wants it the baddest. That's America, man. I love America. That's that's great. That's great. And Clarence Thomas is right. You don't fight racial discrimination with more discrimination. No. It's the craziest thing in the world. Thank you so much for joining us today for Ninth in Congress. Look for it wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to receive the Ninth in Congress newsletter, you can sign up at the TPPF website, www.texaspolicy.com. 